pray. Uh, Father, we do praise you, Lord. You're a good and gracious God. You do all things well. Um, there is no truth apart from you, and all truth comes from you. And we pray that you would share your truth with us this morning, that you would um, bless our hearts and change our lives, Lord, that we would hear from you and respond in obedience. Uh, thank you for the teacher of Ecclesiastes who speaks at times harshly and strongly and yet so true in these words that uh, bring to light the reality of the um, fleeting vapor or vanity of our lives reminds us to remember you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And I pray as we continue to worship you this morning that we would do so well. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. If you're just joining us, we're so glad you're here to worship. If you already know who I am, I'm thankful for that because I appreciate you being here consistently and plugging in and being a part of the family at Midland Free. Um, This morning, we're continuing our sermon series from the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll be in chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. But before, as you turn there, I do want to ask a question this morning. and, And that question is this. Um, Does anyone here know what they want for Christmas this year? Anybody? No? All the kids are dismissed. Nobody's raising their hands. You're you're too polite to say, perhaps. Does anyone remember what they got for Christmas last year? Anybody remember? About the year before that? The year before that? Five years ago, 10 years ago, not so much. Maybe there's someone out there who has an excellent memory and they can do it. They can just call to mind all these little details. I know at least one person like that, but I'm not like that. How's it going, Pastor Jeremy? I don't know. What'd you do this weekend? I don't remember. It's Sunday. (laughs) This weekend was like yesterday. It's gone. (laughs) If I don't put my keys in the same place every single day, they disappear and I can't find them ever again. And so some people think I'm OCD. I'm not. I just have a really bad memory. And so there's only one way it's going to work. I got to put them exactly in the same place every single day. Today, the theme of this section of scripture, I believe, is in verse 1 of chapter 12. It's a command, an imperative. And it is this. It says, to remember your creator. To remember your creator. Well, How could that be a command, Pastor Jeremy? Because I know I got a creator. I haven't forgotten that. What in the world? It doesn't sound that fancy. And how is that going to change my life? If you listen just a little bit longer, I think it may. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. I'm going to do something a little different today. Don't freak out. It's okay. I'm going to read this from the NIV. Usually we use the ESV on Sunday morning. And the reason we do so, it's, it's, it's a great translation, the ESV. It um, is very intentional about translating the same words the same way. And so it's really easy to preach from because I can say, look, here's this word in verse 1. Here's this word in verse 7. Here it is again in verse 12. Look at what the author is doing. In other translations that are more dynamic or more artistic, they will take more liberty or more license, and they will translate things a little bit more fluidly. 
And sometimes that helps you understand better, and sometimes it means you miss things. I mean, it's a trade-off. So it's not necessarily that one is better than the other. They just do different things. I am going to expound from the ESV today. So if you went and you bought your husband or your wife an ESV and said, this is what Pastor Jeremy uses, and all of a sudden (laughs) he's using something different, don't worry, it's okay. I'm going from the ESV, but I want to read this from the NIV today because it's very poetic, and I want you to hear the poetry. Not only do I want you to hear the poetry, I want you to see the poetry. I want you to see the image, to imagine with your mind what this looks like. And if you can't do that from a creative standpoint, just look at the words on our screen. We're going to use slides rather than lower thirds. If you're at home, just keep listening. You won't see me, but you'll hear me. But I want you to see the parallelism in the text. Parallelism is the way that Hebrews or Hebrew, the language of Hebrew does poetry. And so it sets one on top of the other. And that's going on all throughout this chapter. We won't explain every single one, but it's really cool. So take a look. Here it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. It says this, light is sweet. And it pleases the eyes to to see the sun. Everyone in Michigan said, amen. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all, but let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and wherever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are meaningless. Here's the command. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of the grinding fades, when Men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred. The man who goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Ecclesiastes chapter 7, thank you, Dan. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, the command I believe that we're focusing on today is in verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, remember your creator. And the ways I'm going to approach it is this, Um, what happens when humanity forgets and what happens when humanity remembers. And then similarly, what happens when 
God, actually I'm going to switch it around a little bit. God remembers and what happens when God forgets. So it's humanity and God and remembers and forgets and or whichever order. Just follow along. <laughs> it's coming. What happens when humanity forgets? Well, we know this. When we forget, bad things happen. We miss an appointment. We lose our keys. We show up late. We fail to complete an assignment. Bad stuff happens when we forget. We don't like it. We feel bad about it. And some of us more than others because it happens to us more than others. And we don't like that about ourselves. Oh, I did it again. You know, humanity forgets. And we forget simple things, but sometimes we forget big things too. And most importantly, the most important thing we're supposed to remember is our creator. And yet, over and over again, as you watch throughout the Old Testament, the people of God are reminded to remember their creator because so often they forget. They just plain forget. And it really doesn't sound like that bad of a sin. Like if you want to talk about bad sins, let's say like murder or lying or adultery or theft. Forgetfulness? Is that so bad? What's the big deal? The big deal is because all those other things flow out of that. Like, you're not really thinking a lot about God if you're doing something terrible. It's not the way that works. If you're focused on him, if he's first in your life, if he's the center of your heart and mind and thought and being, then you are not only remembering him, you are loving him with all of your heart and soul and mind. But if you forget him, you certainly aren't. (laughs) That's not love. That's forgetfulness. And when you forget God, bad things happen. Really bad things. Remember your creator. If you don't, it leads you into sin. When we forget God, we sin. That's what happens. When the people of Israel forgot God, they sinned. They're led into idolatry. That's what happened over and over again. But God is faithful and just. And we'll walk that pattern through in just a second. But let's follow this out a little further. When we forget, we sin. However, because God is faithful and just, what happens is that he reminds us of things when we forget him. And he does that in a number of ways. And many of them seem unpleasant or painful at the time. But those reminders are good. Like an alarm clock early in the morning that shouts or screams at us and is hard. Yet we know it's there for our benefit. God reminds us when we forget and sometimes it humbles us. And the example that's given in this passage in particular is old age. Now how is old age in a reminder? Well, just like death, this is something that teaches us. Earlier we said death teaches more. Go to a funeral rather than a celebration. Why? Because it teaches you more about life. So too with age rather than youth. Now, as a young person, or even I would say, for example, watch athletes on TV Oftentimes, they feel pretty proud of themselves, don't they? I mean, they they slam the basketball and they strut like this. You know, they're bullet 10 feet tall and bulletproof and nothing can hurt them. And they're greatest in the whole world, you know. And then that begins to fade. All of a sudden, something breaks. They get traded and they're not valuable anymore. If their worth is caught up in that... It's gone. 
The author of Ecclesiastes wants to remind us that that is not our value. And so think about what will happen to you at some point. Inevitably, you won't be 10 foot tall and bulletproof forever. You just won't. At some point, no matter how well you eat, no matter how well you take care of yourself, the house that you live in, metaphorically speaking, will go into decline. You can imagine the picture of some great Elizabethan mansion that at one point in time was the center of the town. And that was, you know, General so-and-so's or Dr. So-and-so's or whatever. And now it's just this old ramshackle rundown place. That's the metaphor imagery that's being captured in this beautiful poetic section. And we shouldn't dissect it so much that we lose the imagery. But let me show you a few of the things just for fun. Because some of you who will appreciate this more than others. And those of you who are young and 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Just trust me. It's coming at some point in time. Okay. It may not be you now. But it will be. Look at verse 3 again it says this in the days when the keepers of the house tremble you've probably seen this or maybe even experienced this when somebody gets the shakes at some point your hands are no longer so steady they're just not they're not that strong anymore and the keepers of the house begin to tremble and the strong men your legs are bent and the grinders Does anybody on the front row happen to know what that might be? (laughs) The grinders are few. When you get older, your teeth, if not well-maintained, are coming out. They don't work. Those who look through the windows, the eyes are dimmed and your vision fades. The doors of the street are shut. Your ears begin to fill and they can't hear the sound of the grinding. Now interpreters go back and forth. Is this the you know, processing of grain? Or is this still on the teeth? They don't know. But the poetry is beautiful. One rises up at the sound of a bird. You don't need a preacher to tell you what that is like. You know, Wake up in the morning. Ooh, it's five o'clock. Time to go. I'm on for work, right? Oh, wait. I'm retired. <laughs> I can go back to sleep. That's the way it is. When you're allowed to sleep. All of a sudden, you can't sleep anymore. And all the daughters of song are brought low. Music and voices aren't as beautiful. And you're afraid of falling. They're afraid of what is high. Terrors are in the way. Hey, let me tell you, this is true. I used to like, when I was younger, you know, I saw what happened to my parents. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat well. And when my kids are grown, I'm going to do everything that they're doing. Nope. Now, maybe I had a little too much ice cream or whatever else, but the reality is this. I'm just not. Like, after I fell when roller skating, and you guys saw me hobble in on here several years ago on crutches because my back wasn't working, and after I got significantly injured in a zip line incident and had to have surgery, and after I fell out of a bouncy castle... <laughs> And landed on my tailbone. (laughs) Eventually my wife is like, you know, maybe you shouldn't keep trying to chase them so much. (laughs) Like, you're right. There's something about heights and falling that isn't working out well for me here. (laughs) 
I need to stop. I need to slow down. I need to think about this because when you're young, you just bounce off the ground and you get up and you dust yourself off. You're like, whoo, no issue. When you're old, you fall down. And man, it takes a little bit. Like, Whoa, getting up. Hold on. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> it hurts. And you don't heal as fast. And so you think about things a little more. Like, do I really want to do that? I'm not so sure. Come on, dad. Come on, dad. No. <laughs> not this time. <laughs> Yikes. That's what happens. And the further you go, the more it is. And that's why it says the almond tree blossoms. Anybody know what color the blossoms of an almond tree are? Take yes. Anybody? White. What happens when you get older? Your hair turns white. You've blossomed. You just say that next time to your spouse. Hey, honey, I've just blossomed for you. I'm an almond tree. Almonds are good. You've blossomed. And worse still, it says the grasshopper drags itself along. One of my children has two little tiny turtles. And of course, we all know, not, not real turtles. They're, we don't do real turtles, okay? Don't misunderstand. Little turtles. And in jest and in fun, he names one turtle Zippy and the other one Zappy. Right? Because turtles are so fast. That's, they drive a Ferrari. It's zippy and zappy. But grasshoppers, what do they do? Man, they spring. They move. But if you see a grasshopper dragging itself along, is that a healthy grasshopper? Mm-mm. It's not doing well. And when you get to that point, you know what happens when the almond tree has blossomed, the grinders are few, the doors are shut, the windows and light is growing dim, and you drag yourself along. Old age is set in, and it happens to us all. And the author here wants to remind the young men, yeah, enjoy your youth. Do. God gave you that strength. But remember your creator. Remember what will happen. Because it happens to us all. You see, humanity forgets, but we need to remember it will humble us when we do so. We won't stand around thumping our chests saying, I'm the king of the world. We'll say, hey, thank you, God, for that. I know it won't last forever. Right? That's the nature of our lives. Thank you, God, for that. It's not going to last forever. It humbles us. It leads us to repentance. Look at the next, uh, next thing in verse 9. Verse 9 says, yeah, rejoice, 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 but remember. Rejoice, rejoice, but remember. Walk in the ways of your heart. It's not just teaching plain hedonism. Don't just enjoy life because we just want to get all the pleasure we can. We enjoy life because it's a gift from God, but we know that it will fade, so we enjoy it while we have it. But know, verse 9, that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Judgment is coming. It's real. And God is good. So what does that mean? If we've squandered time or if we've done things poorly, we need to repent. To repent. 
Know that God will lead you into judgment. And so, yes, enjoy, but remember your creator and repent. And maybe there's some things here this morning that you need to repent of. And God's bringing those to mind right now. I haven't even listed anything. If something's coming to mind, that's not me. That's him. You make sure to take care of that business right away. Remembering your creator means that you need to repent. That I need to repent. Remember your creator it humbles us. It leads us to repentance. And then the funny thing is the next, the next verse, verse 10, it gives us a strange command. It says in, in the NIV, it said remove anxiety. In the ESV, it said remove vexation. Now there's all kinds of products on the shelf that is going to help you do this and give you your best life now and whatever, whatever. But here's what the Lord God of heaven, the Bible says, not to say that everything else is wrong, but this is what scripture says. Here's a word that is translated differently, and that's why I use different translations this morning. It looks like this. Um, it is ka'as in Hebrew, and you can see from the various colors, you don't have to see the words. Don't worry about that. If you want these slide shots or, uh, later, you can email us and we'll get them to you. But in the middle is this one Hebrew word, and there's several different ways of translating it. Um, those are anxiety, provocation. So anxiety is yellow, provocation is blue, anger is red, and grief is orange. This word occurs 20 times in the Old Testament. And so naturally, therefore, the translators are like, okay, so what do we call it here? Because it's not exactly clear. Huh. It's funny, isn't it? Translators wrestle with how to translate or communicate emotion. Does anybody here ever wrestle with how to translate or communicate their emotions? <laughs> That's not easy. They don't always make sense, do they? And sometimes it seems like anger. Other times it's grief. Sometimes it's anxiety or is it provocation? Well, which one is it? Well, it's hard to tell. It's this physiological, chemical, emotional response going inside of us that wells up and we can't seem to control or explain. But there it is in us and put there by our creator. Don't forget your creator in this. He's the one who made emotion. In fact, if you follow this word, you will find it in God. There are several different ways that this is translated. Go ahead and uh, flip those up there, Leah, if you don't mind. Here's anxiety, okay? And we typically think of anxiety as bad, something that we only get. That's the orange. Go ahead and flip to the next one, please. Here is another one. This is anger, also translated indignation or vexation. This one is attributed to God. Same word, but they changed the translation a, mo a bit. I was tempted. I was really tempted. Here's where a pastor gets temptation. <laughs> Just kidding. There's a lot of other ones too. Um, this is the only one I'll tell you on Sunday morning though. Um, I was really tempted to start this spiel and say, did you know? And, and, and it has some significance to it. Did you know? That God experiences anxiety? Did you know that God experiences... You say, what? Anxiety is bad. Anxiety is worried about... Well, God experiences this ka'as, 
which is translated anxiety and provocation and anger and a bunch of other things. But God experiences this. He created this emotion, just like God experiences anger. Now, God's anger and our anger, they're different. And God's anxiety and our anxiety, they're different. And usually when we're angry, it's wrong. And usually when we're anxious, well, there's a lot of reasons for that, but it's different. But what you should know is that God has emotions too. Hear me when I say this, God has emotions too. And if you're experiencing emotions that you can't explain and you can't control, you need to understand you're not the only one and God's got it too. You can go to God and he will fully understand. And part of this message is saying to you, to go to Jesus, receive mercy, and find grace. Run to Jesus, receive mercy, and find grace. When you, don't experience, when you experience emotions that you don't understand, God has those too. And he knows who you are and what you're feeling and what went wrong and what you experienced and what you're thinking and what really happened. He's the infinite, all-knowing, almighty God. And true, our anger is different than his and our anxiety is too, but he understands. This is a beautiful word and translated so many different ways. It shows us it's hard to communicate emotion. Even the best translators struggle, as do we. So there is a remembering that God has emotion. There is a remembering that humbles us. There is a remembering that leads us to repentance because of judgment. But believe it or not, there is also a remembering that encourages us because of judgment. Judgment encourages us. God's judgment is awesome. God's judgment is beautiful. God's judgment is wonderful. God's judgment is something that I want. And you should want it too. Why? Because God is infinite and all-knowing, kind, merciful, and good. But people are not. And so what you should fear is not the judgment of God, but the judgment of others. Because their judgment is arbitrary. Their judgment lacks ultimate knowledge. Their judgment may be righteous, but also comes from a place of sinfulness. But God's judgment comes from his perfect knowledge and ultimate holiness. God's judgment is good. So that if we are under God's judgment, we can see, blessed be the Lord. This is good. I have to accept it. I know I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. If Jesus says I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I got to take it because this is good. But if it's somebody other than Jesus, it's not the same. See, God's judgment is an encouragement. It is good. It is the assurance that all wrong will be made right. It is why the young man is named Don E.L. You don't have to raise your hand, but 
I'm wondering how, how many Daniels are out here this morning. That's a wonderful name. That's one of my favorite names in the whole Bible. Why? Because it means Don, Judge, E, my God, L. God is my judge. And I find it so beautiful and so remarkable that this young character designed from birth to do God's will is named God is judge. And even though he stands in the courts of other judges who condemn him, God judges him righteous. Who is the real judge in that situation? The one marked Daniel has to remember that God is judge. Now, we may not be marked with that name, but we are marked with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has to remind us over, 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 over again. God is judge. God is judge. And that is something we can rest in. We can come to Jesus and receive mercy and find grace. Because God is judge. He won't judge you for something that's not bad. He, he won't condemn you for what is good. He will only discipline us where we need. God's judgment is good and we can rest. God is judge. God is judge. Let God judge. God is good. His mercy endures forever. Come to Jesus and receive mercy and find grace. God is judge. And let that judgment encourage you that every wrong that escapes our judge's notice will be caught by him. Now, I'm thankful. Now, let me not skip over this too quickly. I'm very, very thankful for human judges at this point in time, especially those who are born again believers, because they have the Holy Spirit to convict them and remind them of what real righteousness is. And if we didn't have that, woe be tied to us. You've seen what happens to other countries and economies that don't. I'm super, super thankful for good Christian judges. Let me assure you. But our ultimate assurance, of course, is not as any human being. But in the fact that God is judge. He knows everything. He knows our emotions. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He knows what happened. God is judge. So remember. Remember. Don't forget. Your creator. God is judge. Number one. When humanity forgets. We slide into sin. When we remember. It humbles us. It leads us to repentance. It encourages us. And that's how we remove vexation. See it says remove vexation. Remove anxiety. Remove anger. How do you remove all these feelings? If, if you're the one. Who needs to get even. If you're the one who needs vengeance. If you're the one who needs to be made right. Those feelings will well up inside of you. Oh no I get it. And it will overtake you. And you can't remove vexation. If you've forgotten your creator. And you're trying to be judge. But if you remember. That God will bring it into judgment. Okay. Not my issue. The Lord will judge. That's how you number 10. Verse 10 do. That's how in verse. You carry out the command of verse 10. Through the instruction of verse 9. How do we remove. Vexation. Well know. That for all these things. God will bring it into judgment. Now boy have I got to hurry. In the next few minutes here. But these are important too. 
So number one is humanity, we forget and we remember. Number two, God and what he remembers and what he forgets. What he remembers. God remembers. Now, if you had lots more time, what you could do is you could uh, just search on this word and get all the hits in the Old Testament and see how many times it pops up. And it's a really cool uh, narrative theme throughout the Old Testament that God remembers his people. It's always in association with covenant faithfulness. It's always his covenant people and his covenant faithfulness that he remembers. Let me read you one verse, Exodus two twenty four. It's talking about how God led his people out of Egypt. It says, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. When God remembers, it moves him to act. It's not like me, like, oh, good, I remembered. Boy, I would have been quite the idiot if I forgot. Okay, I'm good. Now I remember. No, no, no. It's totally different. Like, God remembers this arrangement, this agreement, this commitment that deeply moves in his inner being such that he can't do anything else but respond. When God remembers you, he acts. He does something. And we see this playing out over and over in the Old Testament, as I said. Here's a picture of that. Here's how it works with the Old Testament people. It says, usually like in Exodus, you know, they're, they're in trouble, so they're being punished. His discipline or judgment is good. But then he remembers his people. He hears their groaning. And so he redeems them from Egypt. And he delivers them. And he leads them out to the promised land. And they're prospering. And they're doing so well. They're like, forget God. Who needs him? (laughs) We're good. And then what happens? Well, then he disciplines them. And then it leads them to humility and repentance. And then he remembers his covenant and he forgives them. And then we do it again. And again. And again. And that's the pattern of the Old Testament people. And that's the pattern of you and me. That's why we need to come to church and confess our sins to God and one another. That's why we need the Lord's uh, table to remind us of the covenant that we have with him. That's why we take time to pray and sing is to think about God and his faithfulness to drive us to humility and repentance and remember him and confess our sins so that he will do what he does and remember us and bless us with deliverance. Redemption and prospering. When God remembers, he acts. That's what he does. Now, let me just quickly list a few examples that are given in the Old Testament. God remembers not only his covenant people. Okay, so we hear that. Okay, cool. God remembers a nation. God remembers a church. God remembers you and me. God remembers specific individuals. Every detail. That you need him to remember. He remembers. God remembers you and me. God remembered Noah. Genesis 8.1. God remembered Abraham. Genesis 19. In Genesis 30. God remembered. Who comes after Abraham? This one says Rachel. The next remember is God remembered Rachel. Well, I thought God was just a chauvinistic, 
sexist, male, patriarchal, blah. God remembered Rachel. And don't forget Hagar, one who's left by her husband all alone at the stream, unable to provide for her child. And God is called Elroy, the God who sees and remembers. He does not forget you when you are all alone and by yourself. God remembers. He sees. He knows the anxiety. He knows the vexation. He knows the grief. He knows the anger. God remembers. Noah, Abraham, Rachel, Hagar. But don't just use Rachel as an example. Think of the New Testament too. God remembers Mary. As we read this morning in her lowly estate. When all the brave, big, tough men run away, who follows Jesus all the way to the cross? On that first Easter morning, who is the first people to see him come out of the tomb? It was the women. You know what I think? This is just my little hobby horse, so if you want to go after me for it, that's okay. I think, this is my little theory, I think among some special, unique, and particular women that God has gifted them with spiritual sensitivity known yet but to a very few men. I think it's Lucy of the Chronicles of Narnia and those others who just have a golden heart untouched by the evil around them. I think of all the little purple-haired old ladies in the first church I pastored. And people would criticize and say, where's the men? And I'd say, man, hey, there's the women. And I'm still a complementarian and I'm not going back on my theology, but I just want to say very clearly, I think there is something extra, extra special about the incredible beauty and sensitivity that God puts in the heart of a woman. It's different. And I know from my mother and the good woman in my life, that's right. And I know there are good women in this church just like that, and I could name names. There is a special place that God has in his heart for a sensitive woman. Look at who raised Jesus. Look at who followed him to the cross. Look at this text and see who does God remember. Come to Jesus. Receive mercy. And find grace. When humanity forgets, we sin. When we remember, we humble ourselves, repent, are encouraged by God's judgment, and remove vexation from our lives. When God remembers us, He acts, 
He remembered Noah, he remembered Abraham, he remembered Rachel, and he remembers you. You specifically, you individually, God remembers. What did you get for Christmas last year? I don't remember. I don't know. But God never forgets except for one time. Do you know what he forgets? Your sins. Hebrews 8.12, because of his covenant faithfulness and covenant love, says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And it's not like me and my keys, like, oh, shoot, what did they do? Hold on, I'm supposed to judge them for that. Hmm. No, no, no. He says, I know what it was. And I'm purposely removing it from my memory. God remembers and he acts and he delivers. He saves. He gives healing and grace. And he forgets our sins and remembers them no more. Come to Jesus. Receive mercy and find grace. This year, what will you remember? It's probably not going to be what you get for Christmas. But I pray that you will remember your creator. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. Thank you for remembering us. You could have forgotten us long ago. Not worth the effort to recall. We praise you, God, that you remember our sins no more. You provide us a new name. You judge and lead us to repentance, and your faithfulness is true. Lord, we remember you today. In Jesus' name, amen.